you can't just take pills and yes. your depression, anxiety, whatever will go away. Yeah. It's like, it will make it easier, the medication, but none of those medications that I've talked about have ever solved my problems without the foundations. Welcome to the Personal Development Without the Fluff podcast brought to you by Satori Prime. Look, if you believe that there's gotta be more to life or you find yourself zagging when others are zigging, this podcast is most likely for you. We're not here to fix you because in our opinion, you're already perfect. We are here to help you remember who you truly are. That light inside of you that you thought you lost forever. I think you know the one I'm talking about, right? That one. We're brash and blunt and give it to you straight. You'll most likely love us and hate us at the same time. And for us, that's perfect. Because what we are here to do is open your heart and expand your mind so you can live your ultimate life. And if you're wanting more support at any time or just want to interact with Guy and I, find our personal development without the fluff group on Facebook and come hang out with us and other like-minded, amazing human beings. So if you're done with fantasizing about your life and you're ready to go start living it, welcome to our show. Now let's get started. So today's review from iTunes comes from Eldeem, E-L-D-E-E-M, and she writes, just found this and glad that I did. Love the no BS getting down to it flow of this podcast. Great work. Nice, short, and sweet. So Eldeem, if you're listening, reach out and claim your free gift. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Have It All. I'm here, Elon Ferdman, and I have an awesome guest today. Um... I recently read his book while he was traveling on his honeymoon, so I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about that. But if any of you guys have ever heard me talk about our podcast and and the thing that I would love to teach my kids more than anything else is there's two things. One is the ability to master things and the love of mastery, and the other one is to learn how to learn properly. And so our guest today, Jonathan Levy, is wrote a book about all this and how to learn things three times faster. The book is actually called The Only Thing That Matters. So the title is- Only Skill That Matters. The Only Skill That Matters, which is like so funny because that's, there's two, like I said, two skills that I think are really, really important. So so first of all, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Elon. It's a total pleasure. Yeah. And uh, you've been on a Worldwood Adventure, right? For the last few weeks? I have. I have. I would say I've been on an adventure for the last few years, but uh, particularly intense the last few weeks. I I, uh, I had 46 hours between landing after three weeks of travel, and then I was off to Berlin. And prior to those three weeks of travel, I was in the U.S., and now I'm going back to the U.S. So yeah, I'm, I'm almost never home anymore. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I just came back from a trip myself, and last week, everyone was asking me, like, how are you doing? I was like, well, my body's here. But you know, sometimes it takes like your mind a little bit to kind of catch up to your body here and there. So, oh, yeah. So that's kind of where I was. I feel much better this week. Well, anyway, I, um, I read your book. And I said to you before that the thing that kept coming up for me as I was reading this book was, man, hey, I wish that I knew this when I was going through school. And I, yep. you know, I kind of struggled for me. School was a lot of hard work. Uh, I got good grades, but it just came with a lot, a lot of effort. Uh, right. And now my kids are, my son is in third grade and my daughter is in first grade. And I was just reading this book and going, man, how do I share this type of education with them that makes them going through the, you know, typical educational system uh, much, much easier. So I'd yep. love to kind of dive into that. And like we said, we can kind of pontificate on it as we go through it, because I know you learned it uh, later on in life. But before we do that, I'd love for people to get a little sense of you know who you are and where you came from and how you kind of came into this information yeah. that now you're yeah, sharing with absolutely. the absolutely. As I love to tell people, I am literally the last person you would have imagined who would be teaching people how to learn more effectively. Um, growing up, I, w- I was a happy kid. I was uh, also a very distracted kid. had a great childhood, wonderful, loving parents, a family that loved me, uh, lots of hobbies, 
the one thing I wasn't really good at, Elon, was sitting still in school and learning what other kids were learning in class. And that was all cool until about first grade. It's like not, not high standards in kindergarten. In first grade, I wasn't able to keep up. And so by second grade, uh, my teachers had me tested and kind of quietly, they didn't want it to be on my academic record, but they determined that I was going to have learning disabilities and that they could either medicate me or not medicate me. And they chose not to medicate me. They chose to put me in martial arts and things that would kind of focus all my attention and energy. Um, and that was okay for a while. I still was the problem student, you know, God bless some of my teachers who, who put up with me and helped me kind of channel all this energy that I had to try and, and succeed academically. But by sixth grade, school was really hard. And I was, mm. I was struggling, not just academically, but also socially. When I say yeah. I had difficulty learning, I had difficulty also learning the social stuff, the romantic stuff, the skills that other kids were learning, you know, how to play well on teams. I couldn't figure all this out. And so it made me the victim of bullying and harassment. And ultimately, by the age of 13, I was already contemplating suicide. And, wow. it, and it came down to, I just was really unhappy with who I was. And I was really ashamed of the person that I was growing up to be. Um, fortunately for me, I made it through and I discovered prescription medication, which I don't think I would have succeeded in the academic system without uh, until I just dis discovered these tools of learning that I now teach. Um, that's the only way that I got through high school, college, and then graduate school. But uh, somewhere along the way, I had the chance encounter of meeting someone who taught accelerated learning, speed reading, and memory. And he and his wife had worked with students like myself who had learning disabilities. And it, it blew my mind, to say the least. Like I discovered that there was a different way to learn than the way that I'd apparently been doing it and the way that I think most people do. And it, it was like, you know, if you, you hear all these like stories about gurus in India who can like boil water with their hands and stuff like that. And you're just like that, that can't be true. But then you meet someone and you're like, oh my God, this, this guy remembers everything that you tell him and it's just accessible. And you're like, it was the first time, honestly. And since, you know, I run a podcast podcast called uh, Superhuman Academy. So I've since met a lot of actual real world superhumans like Wim Hof, actual, like literally superhuman. Right? Yeah. Dean Karnazes, this guy runs ultra marathons like I stretch in the morning, real superhuman. But this was the first time I'd seen and experienced and with my own eyes could see a superhuman skill, which was this speed reading and memory. And it blew my mind and it changed the way that I learned. And uh, so I went about translating all these materials from Hebrew, which is the language I learned them in. Uh, and help them build an online course. And in the process of doing that, I, I went and did my own research and discovered and dug deeper and learned more. And uh, things just went crazy from there. Like I, I always say, um, six years ago, I knew nothing about online courses, podcasts, or writing books. And I certainly knew nothing about content marketing. Uh, I applied what I teach, which is accelerated learning. And within a year, we had one of the top courses on Udemy, Within three years, we had one of the top podcasts. Within roughly another year after that, we had a best-selling book. And so at every step, I have applied this skill set towards learning whatever it is I need to learn, personally or professionally, by the way. Um, and and, and it, it seems to work. I mean, it, <laughs> it seems to work. So uh, I'm definitely the last person that you would think. Uh, I almost got held back in seventh grade. So you would not imagine that I would be the student uh, to be teaching this, but um, I think it's it's the people who have the pain and the trauma uh, who end up being the ones who want to share and solve it. Yeah, and it's the the beauty is that um, it's a learned skill, which I yes. love. And a lot of people think when they meet superhumans, they're like, "Oh, you're you're born this way, or you have this right. innate." And this is not that at all. Um, interestingly Precisely. enough, after or during the time I was reading your book, I happened to watch the show. I think it's called Explained on Netflix. And yep. they had a chick there who was like the number one memorization girl in the world. And she was actually sharing yeah. a lot of the same things that you were talking about in the book. So I was like, oh, yeah. that's funny. I like the universe just keeps popping this up. Nelson Dellis, uh, who was on uh, this documentary. And I think Explained, they have one on how the mind works. This one was... Um, memory games or something like that. There's another Netflix documentary. 
And uh, Nelson Dellis, who's who's the other kind of feature of the thing, he's a, a good friend and, and wrote uh, the testimonial for this book and the foreword for my last book. Nice. So, uh, and, and if you talk to Nelson or any other of these people, they're like, yeah, I had a horrible memory before. So yeah. it really is a, a learned, acquired skill. So real quick, before we jump into all this, uh, the medications that you were talking about is like Ritalin, Adderall, things like yep. that. Yeah, I was a everyday Ritalin user and full disclosure for people. If I have to sit through a conference or anything that is not creative, creative work for me, I can do. I drink my mushroom coffee. Our podcast is sponsored by Four Sigmatic and I actually use the product. Um, I think my take on it is that human beings are not meant to sit at a desk and and just create. Uh, I think we're meant to wander and move and roam. And so I think just like we need glasses to sit down and many of us need glasses, at least to sit down and read a book. I think crutches are necessary to adapt us, which is why coffee is the most used drug on the planet. So for me, uh, I use all different kinds of supplements. I'll use mushroom coffee or I'll use yerba mate, or sometimes if I have a particularly grueling day, like I'm standing in the recording studio and I have to be focused for eight hours, yeah, I will still take Ritalin. I still maintain a prescription. So I'm not anti-medication, uh, but I'm anti-using it to overcome the shortcomings of learning. I'm curious. You, so you're using it for years and years and years, yeah? Uh, I've been on and off at various points in my life. Uh, I've had doctors who say, if you don't use it every single day, then you don't need it. And I've had doctors who say, use it only occasionally. I think it depends how uh, modern of a doctor you're dealing with. Um, but yeah, I, I use it and I, I know that for certain things I need it, which is if I'm doing something that's not creative, that I don't particularly enjoy and is not actually learning because I love learning. Learning yeah. is like a passion for me, but if I need to sit, uh, here's a perfect example, right? Um, we produce online courses. Now we take our knowledge and produce online courses based on what we know, my team and I, about learning and online education. With over 250,000 people have gone through our courses. So we know a little bit about how to educate people online. And one of the things that that involves right now, I'm the only one on the team who, who's trained to do it, is going through someone else's entire other materials and correcting all the grammar, sentence structure, making sure that there are no inconsistencies. So it's really, a, it's the best person in the world to do this would be someone who's uh, autistic or has Asperger's. Because it's really <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute, you just brought up this term and we haven't defined that. So we need to go. And, so uh, to do that and to sit and do that for six or eight hours, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely take Ritalin. I, so I have, I have a question because um, I know a friend of mine back in college was taking, I think, four 20 milligrams a day. Wow. Yeah. Uh, that far and, exceeds anything I do. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, this, this was like an extreme case. He, he, would, he was never awake in a non-medicated state. So he would set his alarm an hour earlier before he needed to wake up, had the pill by his bedside, would like been take there. it and wake up, you know, in that state. Um, I've and, been there. Yeah. So here, here's my question as someone that's been there and I know someone who's like weed themselves off from like a daily user to just a, when I need it type of thing. Um, this particular kid actually ended up in the hospital cause it was just like, it was one of these strange things. And, and maybe, you know, like you'd like look in this kid's eyes and there was like nothing. It was like void back there. It was like, yeah. I mean, he'd been on this for, I think at that point, like 10 or 12 years or something wow. like that every yeah. day, like a long time. Uh, I'm curious for you, I don't know how long you were on it, but did you notice like as you weaned yourself off or I don't know if you went cold turkey, did you notice a lot of other impacts and effects on you from like a physiological standpoint that you just weren't yeah, aware of? Absolutely. So I, I've weaned myself off at various points in my life and looking back what I realized. So I struggled with depression when I was 13, as I mentioned. Uh, and then around 15, I discovered Ritalin and the depression went away. And I had always thought that that was because now I was succeeding in school and I had a little bit more confidence because I wasn't the dumbest kid in class. Mm. Looking back, and it took three times of doing this to realize, but the three times in my life that I have gone off of the medication, about four to six months later are followed by a bout of depression. Wow. Now, depression is, is genetic in my family. We've had it. I had a great aunt or something like that. I, the family doesn't really talk about it, but th there has been suicide in my family. So depression is like a known factor. And lo and behold, I go back on the Ritalin and the depression starts to disappear. 
So I think I, I've also done the Braverman test, which people can do to check out how they are naturally wired. Um, and it'll tell you, are you acetylcholine deficient or are you maybe uh, GABA dominant or whatever it is? Um, and yeah, I have a tendency to be this kind of like depressive fatalistic person. Now mm. I don't want to be completely dependent on a medication for my happiness. And I, I've also, I've had periods of intense stress in my life, wedding planning and buying a commercial building and stuff where I've relied heavily on anti-anxiety medication. So I, I want people to understand that uh, I'm very much not against using medications to get yourself into a healthy place because as a psychiatrist told me, you need to do the work, the psychology work to fix whatever's going on, fix the anxiety, fix the depression. But it's a lot easier to do that from a place of happiness and health. Mm. Um, so I'm not against these medications and I've used them at difficult points in my own life. Um, yeah. awesome. To answer your question though, yeah, I've, I've discovered that uh, occasional riddle in use helps to keep me balanced and helps to keep me feeling like I'm being productive, like I'm working towards my goals. And that seems to stave off the depression. I will say, um, everything that I talk about on my podcast, exercise, nutrition, sleep, really, really important Huge. and social bonds. Those things cannot be, you can't just take pills and yes. your depression, anxiety, whatever will go away. Yeah. It's like, it will, it will make it easier, the medication, but none of those medications that I've talked about have ever solved my problems without the foundations. Yeah, totally. And, and I, that, I'm really happy that you said that. Uh, I was actually for, for many, many years, I was um, using nootropics, all mm -hmm. different, like, I don't know if you've messed with like paracetam and phenylpyrazetam. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> oh, yeah. huge proponent. I mean, I think they're absolutely phenomenal, fantastic. Um, I had an interesting experience and this might be like a little too woo for you, but I know for our listeners, I'll get a kick out of this. Try me. Um, I was, um, I was in an ayahuasca journey and I was kind of like on the tail end of it. Have you ever done plant medicine? I haven't, but I've done many other plant medicines, okay. not right. ayahuasca so, specifically. Okay, cool. So I'm um, like on the tail end and it's, it's this really, um, when you're kind of like in the tail end, not in like the big impact of it, it's, it's like this very clear, you yep. just get a lot of downloads and can ask questions. And I had this strange experience where spirit basically took me to like my uh supplement cabinet and we opened it and we would go like one by one and she was like yes absolutely not maybe wow. like here's the and she would like tell me like all the impacts for me like of these things and That's so fantastic yeah it was wild so when it came to like the nootropics and modafinil and things like that specifically which yep. I'm like you like in times when I feel like I really just need to sit and hammer it down like they're really useful. She said something really interesting. She didn't say no. She said this, she goes, all of these drugs overstimulate your brain. So in other words, like you're pumping a lot more oxygen and, and blood and all that stuff to your brain. So like your brain functions really, really well. However, when you're talking about like spiritual whole being, right? Like spirit doesn't communicate with you through your brain, right? It communicates totally. through, through your feelings. So it's interesting. You were talking about like the, the depression comes because you're basically taking all that energy and focusing it on your brain. So like this operates yep. really, really well, but you almost, the way it was shown to me is like, you're almost disconnected from the feeling aspect of your body. So yep. she's like, look, it's up to you how you want. But like, if you want to communicate with spirit and get like downloads from your higher self and things like that, this, like taking that is not going to give you access to that. I love that. And I was like, holy shit. So I came back and at that point I'd been on this stuff for like three years, almost every single day. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to stop and just see what happens. Um, yeah. And it was, it was great. Like, I mean, but yeah, it was, it was just a really cool out there. Experience. I love that. And, and what it makes me think of is as a kid growing up, I was told, you know, this will stunt your growth, physical, like height growth. Mm. So it's like, you should take breaks. Don't take it on weekends. Don't take it on days where it's just review. Don't, you know, don't take it during the summer. And now I think of it for, I, not necessarily spiritual. You've now added a new component to it. But for me, it's, I'm like, my spirit animal is a monkey. So I'm playful, but when I'm on Ritalin, I'm not playful. Now yes. there's this, there's this interplay, right? Because I love who I am on Ritalin. The person who's gone out and shared all this knowledge with 250,000 people 
that's, that's riddle in me, right? Like mm. sit down in a room, not with other human beings and just write for the last couple of years. Like anytime I've needed to write stuff that, you know, I I'd rather be doing this than writing. So I'm very grateful, but at the same time, I can't suppress who I really am, which is this playful, fun, creative, you know? So it's, I have to choose like, how much am I going to let that out? And I love this idea of like, and, and, and that's ultimately why like some days, like today I didn't take any Ritalin because it's like, I want to be here. I want to be present. I want to be social and friendly with you and with my team who I had a two hour call with today, no Ritalin. So today it was mushroom coffee, you know, and, and that allows, it, it allows my playful self and, and my personable self to come out and play. Does it, does it uh, get me to sit still and write for six hours? Not so much. So yeah. again, just to draw it back for me, it's like, it's exactly what you said, right? There is this dissonance between the world that we have to live in and, and the way we have to show up to achieve in this world. Like there's nothing natural about sitting and, and reviewing the stock market for 12 hours because you're a day trader, right? It's like your brain doesn't want to do this and your body yeah. doesn't want to do this. And, and that's why I use these, these crutches to help me cope with the challenges of modern living. Hello, my favorite listener. That's you. I wanted to share with you some of the amazing results and breakthroughs your fellow Satorians are experiencing as we speak from being in the collective with us. So if you haven't heard about the collective or what you're missing out, check this out. So Amanda writes, a couple of years ago, I was destitute, living back with my parents at 36. I'd lost my job, was overcome with chronic illness and a strong victim mindset, and I was totally stuck. Through the influence of your training, I'm enjoying a much more fulfilling life. I've moved back home, gotten a great job, taken control of my health, and even bought the car I've always wanted. I'm ready to go even further into my awakening and manifest the life I truly deserve. I couldn't be happier to be part of this tribe of amazing human beings. Robin said to us, thank you. Since March, I've started meditating every day. I've lost 27 pounds. I've resigned from a job that I hated but stuck with because of the money, and I've already received three new job offers and even taken one of them that is paying more and I'm much happier. Plus, my relationship with my husband is flourishing too. Thank you. And Paul writes, after talking to my daughter, I now know that I feel relieved and much lighter because of it. Thank you again for everything. You guys have changed my life. I feel like I've come farther in the last few weeks than I have in the last few years. I'm so grateful for your help and support. I love you guys. Look, I know this podcast adds tremendous value to your life. My suggestion is head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective right now and jump headfirst into the collective. After all, it's only a $9 a month investment and you'll get access to Guy and I in a whole new way. You'll learn some of the most cutting edge technology that we share with our best clients, but we can't really share here on the podcast. Imagine you and us interacting with each other live every two weeks for just $9. It's incredible as you've seen before. So if you're wanting breakthrough results in your life quickly, head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and begin to deepen your journey as a Satorian today. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw out one question as like a thing out there, but because it's a concept, I'm very much like you, like my, my story growing up was I always thought that I was a loser. So my whole makeup was I had to win sports, grade, everything. It was like, and, and I know you also are like an, a high achiever, every entrepreneur I've ever met, like that's what we are, right? Like we like to play the game for achievement. Somebody yep. asked me this question and this is just a good thing to sit with. I don't know that there's an answer, but it's like, what if you played and achievement wasn't the goal? Like what if yeah. achievement was no longer the goal? And then that kind of like, I, I remember the first time I heard that question, I was like, wait, what? Like, what, what does that even mean? And it right. was just something that I played with. And inside of that, you know, it's like, you can find the brake pedal, you can find the rest, you can find all those things because most entrepreneurs were just so go, go, go. We're like, all right, did this, now, now to the next thing. And it's yeah, that's yeah. where I feel like a lot of these um, medications come into play because it's like, we're always trying yeah. to find that edge and like everyone's competing with you. So like, and if you gave yeah. that up, maybe something else is possible and it's just an interesting place to look at. It's fun to chew on. At the same yeah. time, I feel like, you know, this idea, I think it was Rousseau who said like, there's no such thing as charity actually, because ultimately there's always the satisfaction. And the, I think 
the conclusion was, and it could be a totally different philosopher. This was from, from high school philosophy class, which we now know I had a hard time paying attention. (laughs) But, But the idea was essentially like, uh, unless it hurts you, like giving up, even giving up a kidney, right? Like you get the satisfaction of helping another human being. We're social creatures. It's not charity, it's self-interest. And I wonder if achievement isn't the same way, right? Like the first thing that came to me was, okay, if, if achievement is not the thing, then it's impact, right? Like the, my wife always says like the happiest she ever sees me is when some student sends an email or leaves a review and they're like, I passed the bar exam because of these techniques. And then I'm like, but his achievement is, you know, like I'm achieving by proxy of another human being, even if impact is the goal. Right. So, um, and I think about this a lot with money, right? So I'm not a super materialistic person. I've got my three-year-old iPhone and my, uh, Uniqlo, you know, $19 sweatpants. And I, I just don't care about fancy stuff. Um, but it's really important to me to make money. And I've realized it's two things. One is freedom, right? Like the ability to go, oh my gosh, I need to get on a plane for whatever reason and not have to worry about the price of flights and, and not have to worry about working tomorrow if, sure. you know, God willing, I have a kid and I want to take six months off. But the other thing is um, money is a really, really good, I mean, if you look at money as a store of value, money is a really good way to estimate the value you've created for other human beings. And so I think the me that got bullied and got picked on looks at money not as, because I don't talk about my income and I don't yeah. brag about it and, you know, but I definitely wear my like, we've had 250,000 students be impacted by our courses and my book has sold this many copies and I get this many, you know, like, so I think money for me is, is a proxy and, and I wonder if, you know, achievement is the same. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's exactly like, you know, we, we all set up our measuring stick, quote unquote, totally. um, and that's, that's where we go with. So Awesome. Thanks for uh, going down that that little uh, yeah, rabbit yeah, hole with me. That was fun. Um, all right. So I want to talk about the only skill that matters. And yes. I want to talk about some of these things because I, I, you know, one of the things and I, you'll have to obviously like fill in the blanks on some of the uh, <laughs> verbiage here because I just don't remember. But for example, I was saying to you, like one of the things in there that you shared was uh, SRS, which is, it stands for what? Spaced repetition systems. Yeah. And, uh, it was something I'd never heard of. And now there's obviously apps for everything. So there's these cool little apps and just to give people like a heads up, this is what I was doing. So my son's learning, uh, geography terms, right? Like maps Mm -hmm. and symbols and things like that. And from the book, one of the things that I took away was like, wow, you know, when we learned, I used to fill up like a notepad of notes and then yeah. I would go through and add the stuff that I knew better, I would like shorten into sort of terms and eventually it'd be this like one double-sided page. And, and you were saying that this, uh, through SRS, you can actually like create these note cards and right. then based on your rating, like I know this really well, then your brain knows it, right. then you don't need to see it as often as you do the other stuff. And you can use right. that time to study some of the other ones. So it like automatically through an algorithm, shows you the things that you don't remember quite as well. And I was like, man, if I had that in college, (laughs) it would have been like a quarter of the time that I needed to study. Exactly. And the thing is, we're really bad at, at no, at predicting our own knowledge. Like we can, Mm -hmm. we often confuse recognition with retention. It's it's not enough on an exam to be able, unless you're lucky and you have multiple choice exams, but that's not going to happen in, in most of your studies, you know, Yeah. Uh, which is by the way, the problem with multiple choice exams, they test recognition of the right answer. So we're really bad at saying, yeah, I know that. But when you either get the flashcard right or you don't, and then you tell it, it and it calculates, most people don't realize with Anki, this one of these software systems, it actually will say, well, it took you two minutes to answer. So how well do you actually know it? Um, and after a certain point, it doesn't matter if you say, yeah, 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 I got it. If it took you two minutes to answer it, you don't got it. So uh, it, it's really cool. And yeah, you can save a ton of time because ultimately all you want to do is maintain, right? You want to do the absolute bare minimum, which is kind of my similar philosophy that I have to weightlifting, right? Like I'm either gaining or maintaining. And if I'm maintaining, then I just want to do the bare minimum, right? Like two to three sets, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. T- time is value. So here's my thing. Like if you were starting from the beginning, right? Yeah. What would be the, the first thing that you would focus on to start down this path of accelerated learning 
What would be like the number one skill for that? So one of my kind of philosophical insistencies is I believe that people need to know the why uh, and and they need to know how things work in order to use them. This I, I discovered when I used to have a manual car and none of my friends did. And I wanted to protect my car and I would tell them, oh, just do this, just do this. And they would totally grind the gears in my car and just destroy it. You are a pretty nice way better friend to let them drive your car. (laughs) Right. So I then figured out that if I first gave them a 10 minute lecture about how a manual gearbox works, they could work out the rules by themselves and go, okay, well, here's what I'm trying to do. Trying to change gears. I now know that the clutch isn't just some random thing that I kick when I'm told to, but I know what the clutch actually does. It disconnects the motor from the drivetrain, whatever. Uh, So I I kind of discovered very, very early on that people need to understand how something works in order to use it. Human brain, most people don't realize, is the most complex object in the known universe. You get 18 years or whatever of physical education, learning how to use your body. We could... controversial whether or not physical education classes actually teach you. You get one very awkward semester of uh, sex ed where you're taught how to use specific parts of your body. No one ever sits down and goes like, hey, Elon, did you know that your brain does a lot better with pictures than it does with auditory information? Did you know? These are the, the five criteria that make your brain more likely to remember a piece of information. You know, this is what you need to do if you want to actually remember something. And by the way, leave aside all the techniques like, hey, I know you're going to be tempted to write the paper the night before or study for the exam the night before, but your brain works a lot better when it's slept. Um, there's no class. And, and I kind of believe that like basic neuroscience, if we're going to teach kids PE and we're going to teach them how to stretch out their hamstrings. And in a lot of high schools today, they're teaching you how to do foam rolling, which is awesome. What wow. a cool way to teach people, right? But if we're going to teach kids that, like teach them how to use their brain and it's not hard you know, to sit kids down and go, this is kind of how your brain works. So that's where I would start. Honestly, that that's the starting, starting point. Like first know what makes things memorable to your brain, right? So pictures, pictures are much more memorable. And can you create novel visualizations, connections, too many students, the majority of students learn something new and never connect it back to how they, how they, can relate to the information, right? So creating those connections so that you can navigate your way back to that memory. Our brains work a lot like Google's PageRank algorithm. They say, how many connections is there between this piece of information and other pieces of information and how trusted or important are those pieces of information it's connected mm-hmm. to? And just by doing that and, and even fabricating arbitrary connections can make such a difference. Like you meet someone, they teach you how to say something in Swahili and you immediately go, oh, that sounds a lot like this word. And how can I create that connection so that when I forget it, which you will, you know, spaced repetition, if you don't review it, you will forget it. Do you have a way to navigate your way back into that neural network? So, so that, so I remember when I was a kid, I also did like a, a memory course and it was the first thing was, I think like this list of 20 objects. And again, mm-hmm. it was like with the, the placing them in visual colors and images yep. and all that stuff like in your brain and, and you talk about like placing them in a room that you know and things like that right that for me has always been the thing well like i'll start for a few days and i'm like oh i like i can't you know i just i'd let it go two things two part one just talk a little bit because you're going to explain it a lot better than i do about how you visualize these these words or things that you're studying with you know yeah. like the graphics and then two, I'd love to find out, you know, like what methodologies did you use to create that daily type of practice in your life? Yeah. Are there like skills, apps, tools, video games? Like great question. Things to, That's a great to question. practice it. So uh, first let, let's deal with the, like, how do you make this an everyday thing? Yeah. And, and the simple thing is like, First and foremost, people don't use their memory. Like our our whole world, because we have these distraction machines in our pockets <laughs> that are connected to the internet, like we literally don't use our memory. And it, it blows my mind. Like the simplest little things, you meet people who they punch in, you know, a phone number or every single day uh, punch their credit card in to, to do some online order. And they've never thought to like memorize it. Yeah. I mean, talk about like for security reasons, right? Like you're traveling, you lose your credit card, really important. Um, so the first thing is like to 
to be present and mindful of information that would benefit you to memorize. An example I always love to give people, people always say like, what, you know, what's the first thing I should memorize? And I think they're surprised when I say random people's names. Uh, I'm a big Dale Carnegie fan. Remember that a person's name is to that person, the sweetest sound in any language. Uh, one of the coolest life hacks, if you will, um, is next time you go to a restaurant, memorize that like as soon as the waiter comes, says, hi, what can I get you? Da, 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 and what was your name? I always do this. Me too. Always, always, always. I was on, um, I was on uh, Dave Asprey's show the other time. He's like, you know what was weird is you and I were sitting there at this event and you asked the bus boy, like the person just clearing at this event, you asked his name, like, why'd you do that? And I was like, first off, it's just the best way to communicate respect to another person. Absolutely. Um, but it's also powerful. Like there is, uh, as we talk, there's self-interest, right? I have not waited for a bill in a restaurant for years because it's very easy. You know, there's three different waiters serving five different areas. When someone says, excuse me, or check, please might get lost in the mess. But when I go, Michael, I don't even have to shout. Michael whips around all of a sudden. Can I get the check? So it's really cool. It's really valuable. It's gotten me into places like where they're like, sorry, we can't let you in here. Private groups only. And I'm like, well, actually your manager over there, his name is Kai. And I talked to Kai and Kai said, if it's okay with you, then it's okay with him. And they're like, oh, you talked to Kai. I'm like, yeah, I just <laughs> talked to Kai. You know, and, and if I had not remembered that I talked to Kai 20 minutes ago and his name was Kai because the one was like, well, who did you talk to? So I, I have all kinds of stories where just learning someone's name. So um, as you start exercising the skill and seeing the value, you will find more and more opportunities. And it can be a little silly things, right? We've all had this situation. This happened to me so many times in the last month where you're traveling, right? And your phone battery is like draining and you're like in a strange place. You don't know what to do, right? And you're like, if my phone dies right now, like that's it. I'm sleeping in the train station. So <laughs> memorize, memorize the route, right? Like memorize which buses you need, memorize the names of the street, create a memory palace. And we can go into what that actually means. Yes. Like, this is what I need to do. I need to turn left on 33rd street, take the 172 bus and then go to, you know, Michael's drive, memorize it. And then put your phone on, on airplane mode and save the battery in case you need to call an Uber because you get it wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in case memory so, fails. <laughs> right. So using your using your memory and and training it. And I think people would be shocked. Like I, you know, I don't go around memorizing books or, or sometimes I'll memorize like serial numbers on bills to impress people for fun. But uh it's otherwise it's just practical stuff. Like how many of us know our spouse's social security number for emergency reasons? Like I know my wife's social security number, phone number, passport number, easy. Like two minutes of work, you know, hmm. but, uh, but actually using these faculties and then, um, and then just, it, it becomes habit over time, right? Like you tell me that you've got kids of a certain age and I'll just create these little mental markers, these visualizations. So, so talk about that. Let's, let's, cause some people listening yeah. they're like, they have no idea what you mean, like visual markers, right. things like that. So what right. does that look like when you're, you know, either kids ages or the, the root of the map or a passport, like, how right. are you setting that up in your mind? Beautiful. Yeah. So everything that you want to remember, believe it or not, I, the, I always joke with people is like, if you've always wished that you had a visual memory or a photographic memory, good news, you do. <laughs> we just need to tap into it and you need to learn how to use it. So everything that you ever want to remember needs to become a picture. And this is how every single world record holder and memory champion does it. I convert things into a picture. So it can be any picture that you want as long as it's sufficiently detailed and it has the information that you need. So personally, I know that Ilan is Hebrew for a tree. So I might just picture you climbing a tree. Super simple. Um, if someone didn't know that, uh, they might picture Ilan kind of sounds like Elon Musk. They might picture you designing a Tesla, right? Whatever your association is, create that association. Now, you'll also notice what I'm doing is I'm connecting it to my prior knowledge. That's the yep. second step. Pictures, connections, and then at the higher levels, a lot of times this is overkill, but if I needed to memorize 250 people's names at a social event and I wanted to memorize them in order of what they were sitting, you know, where they were sitting, I wanted to memorize a speech or, you know, when I go on stage and memorize 50 digits backwards and forwards and people are always very impressed, uh, I will put those into what's called a memory palace, which means I, it's, it's actually shockingly simple. Uh, imagine your home 
Now go in the front door and look at the right. And just what you're going to do is trace a perimeter around the house and you're going to place the symbols in there. So like Elon, you know, designing a Tesla is one and whatever other symbols you would create, um, you just place them in little anchor points. So like, okay, there's a bookshelf, put one there. There's the computer monitor, put one there. There's the chair, put one there. And you just go around windowsill, put one on the right, put one on the left. And you, you basically store these. And the reason, again, people need to know how something works in order to use it. The reason this works so well is, uh, is basically survival instinct for us to remember our surroundings. You remember every apartment you've ever lived in. You can't help it. You know the layout. You know where the fridge was. You know where the sink was. You know where the bathroom was. You remember probably stupid stuff that you never intended to remember, like which corner did you keep the shampoo bottles on? Hmm. Ridiculous. For every apartment you've ever been in, but we can go even further. I can take you back and say, hey, you know, that time that you were in Japan, do you remember what hotel you stayed in in Tokyo? And you'll be like, it was 10 years ago, but yeah, I, I actually do. And, and do you remember where the bathroom was there? Holy crap, I do. And I play this game with people and they're like, wow. So you have lying dormant in your brain, thousands of memory palaces. And all you need to do is just fill them with stuff, memories, ideas. So I have a memory palace for the circle of fifths, music theory, something really hard that people have to memorize. Uh, the NATO phonetic alphabet. You know, you always hear it in like war movies, like Bravo, Charlie, Delta Echo, Foxtrot, India. So I have that memorized and it's just a hardware store downstairs. Um, I have one for Russian grammatical rules. I have one for Russian vocabulary. Uh, I had one for my TED talk. That one's long gone because that was long time ago, but I still remember some of the points in there and you just create them as needed. They're free. So I don't reuse them. I'm very wasteful. But part of the reason is this technique is so effective that if you reuse a memory palace, it will often bleed unless you've been trained to reuse memory palaces. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you want to use a I, different environment for every single thing that you're ideally, learning. Ideally, when you're starting out, I mean, when I've folks like Nelson Dellis, the four-time USA memory champion, what they'll do is they'll actually train cleaning out memory palaces. It's this like really silly thing, but when you are training at such a high competitive level, I mean, like Nelson can memorize a deck of cards in 38 seconds, and that doesn't even make him one of the top 50 people in the world. The, the world record right now is 13.96 seconds for a deck of cards. The only way to do that is to have set stations, and you always know okay, first six cards go here. First, next six cards go here. And there's very sophisticated ways of actually combining three to seven cards into one visualization. So that the mastery level, they're using the same exact techniques as you and I, and as I, I talk about in The Only Skill That Matters, they're just, uh, they've done so much work in advance that they know to say, okay, if it's king of hearts, then queen of clubs, then seven of spades, that is this. So it's, it's very impressive. So they've actually memorized like an image for that three pattern. Bingo. Got it. They, they do something called person action object, which is the first card is the person. The second is the action and the third is the object. So, uh, Steven Spielberg moonwalking with Einstein, which is a book moonwalking with Einstein. That's where it gets its name. Uh, and at the most sophisticated levels, I think they're now doing seven cards in one visualization, which is insane and takes a lot of uh, advanced kind of like preparation. You have to have ready-made symbols for most of the combinations that you would find, which is, it's a lot of work, but it makes for, I mean, you can memorize cards in under 14 seconds. So, so let's look at something because people aren't going to like go for people aren't gonna do I don't the records it. for that. But, you know, something that I think all of us do, especially entrepreneurs is we'll walk into a networking event or maybe like yep. even a small dinner and you get introduced to six, seven, eight people. You're shaking yep. hands, you're shaking hands, you're shaking hands. And yep. by the time you shake the third person's hand, you've already forgotten the first person's name. And like, of course, because it, it's like rapid fire. It's like, hey, I'm it's Mike, hey, I'm Dan, hey, I'm Jan, you know, like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, so yeah. in those kind of moments, how do you train yourself to just like really quickly yep. be able to do that and actually store it? Yeah. So I've got tricks for beginners. Uh, first one is I have ready-made visualizations for a lot of common names. So uh, Chris is always, by the way, I forgot to mention, violent, sexual, crazy, ridiculous imagery works better. This is part of the reason why it's suspected that the Catholic church suppressed these techniques. They actually burned 
uh, someone at the stake for writing about these techniques. Huh. I think the 1400s. Yeah, it's it's a whole interesting story. Um, but in any case, uh, so I have ready-made visualizations. Um, so Mike is always someone doing karaoke. Chris is always someone on the cross. So like these ridiculous, embarrassing, or violent images work really well. Um, if I know someone with that name, I'll just picture this person holding hands or even making out with that person. Uh, you know, I know a lot of <laughs> living where I live. I know a lot of Davids. So David and Goliath is always a really good visualization. Uh, and then if it's, if it's a foreign name, I might need an extra split second. And so I'll just say, how do you spell that? Or, and that will give me a little bit of time. Another thing people can do the, the whole, like repeating someone's name seven times doesn't really work, but you should repeat their name and say, and there's two reasons for that. One, it gives you time to create that visualization, solidify it. But two, uh, me having gone to way too many parties and blown out my hearing, I don't have the best hearing, especially when there's a lot of background noise. And I once met a Sharon who I thought was a Karen. I created that visualization and forevermore she was Karen. And I kept calling her Karen, but it was there. That visualization was rock solid. So make sure you heard the name right. You know, Elon, did you say that was Elon? Nice to meet you, Elon. You know, and then you've got it good and then they'll correct you in case, you know, so uh, that's how I would do it. Most people, honestly, the reason why they forget is they're not listening in the first place. That, that's they just assume, sure. they assume like, I'm not going to remember this. But if you actually put in the effort and, and use the technique, you will be shocked. And then a pro tip to your point, Elon, like the importance of spaced repetition. That night when you get home from the event, go through in your head or take the business cards that you've collected, go through in your head, review the visualizations. And then when you get home, make it a habit, make it a practice. We all do this. Hopefully when we get home from a conference, we send out emails, we send out LinkedIn, you know, whatever's make it a habit, review your visualizations. Okay. This was Chris. I imagine him, you know, hung up on the cross. This was Jessica. I imagine her as, you know, uh, for me, it would be this old friend, Jessica that I have for other people. It might be famous, you know, Jessica, whatever. So that's how I would do it. And, and that's how we instruct people to do it. And are you placing people like in a palace or this is just like word association type stuff? When I meet a lot of people at an event, I'll inevitably remember exactly where I remember them. There's actually recent research that has started to demonstrate that there's actually no memory without novel visual stimuli like location. So it may not be possible to create a memory without actually knowing where you learn that memory, hmm. which if that is true, really casts doubt on like, should students be learning in the same classroom every day? Or should we just be rotating, you know, and, and having them sit, at least sit in different seats every single yeah. day, because then it would be, this is where I stored that memory. Um, but I would imagine if I asked you important things, important ideas, um, kind of big life-changing, whoa, learning points, you'd probably be able to tell me where you learned them. That's... Yeah, that's probably accurate. So, so are th that, that's, a, th that's kind of a byproduct, but yeah, I will. I mean, the last conference I was at, I could tell you exactly where I, where I was and who I was talking to and where they were sitting at the table and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, are there uh, like programs, apps, things like that, that one can go through to practice this stuff? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty anti-app because I think you want this and speed reading, you really want to develop the, the skills to do it in between your ears. But what we discovered is if I tell people, and by the way, I believe that real world practice is something on the order of 10 times better than, you know, playing a memory game or whatever. Sure. But if we tell people like go out and memorize, I would give people homework for this episode, go out today and memorize 10 people's names. You'll be surprised how many like Uber drivers and random people that you bump into that you just don't learn their name because you don't care, right? So um, that would be the homework, but we actually developed, we have a game server. It's at uh, games.becomeasuperlearner.com where people can actually test their memory. So we'll give them like 20 random images, 20 words, and they can actually play around and see how good of a memory they have. They should yeah. be able to get all 20 random words in about two minutes. That's two minutes. That's the goal. Got it. So like if I'm teaching this to my kids, right. And I'm yep. trying to so explain to them like how the brain works and all that stuff. Totally. Where they're going through their day, you know, what would be, would doing this like 
word visualization type strategy be the first thing that you want them to really understand? Yeah. Well, give me an example of something. I don't have kids yet. So what's they're learning right now in school? So Shia, for example, my son right now is they're like starting to learn all about social studies. So he's doing all this stuff around geography and maps and symbols and keys and longitude, latitude, which by the way, this is the first year where I finally realized like, fuck, like the school that they go to is kind of worthless. Cause like, why do you need to fill your brain with that? You know what I mean? So then I I was like, okay, I started getting really upset. I'm like, this is such useless information that he will never need or learn or, or like want to know. But then I was like, okay, well we can use this as an experiment to memorize and to like learn how to learn more than here are these images, symbols, blah, blah, blah. But like, here's a bunch of random quote unquote words that now you need to be able to understand and learn and, and use again. So that's kind of where like it all happened while I'm reading this book and I'm like, that's a good opportunity. Yeah. You know, it's funny. No one has ever asked me about memorizing geography, which is I've never thought about it. Like every day I discover new stuff that we can do. Someone the other day asked me about mathematical formulas that I don't know because my math level topped out at trigonometry and they were like, all right, you stick to social studies. <laughs> um, but they showed me formulas and I was like, all right, how would we memorize this? And we figured out a way to do it. Um, geography, how would I do it? I mean, uh, in my TED talk, I talked about, you know, there are uh, 14 countries that border China and you could create a visualization of a 14 armed emperor and each one of those arms has a symbol, right? So like one is Kim Jong-un, one is an AK-47 because most people don't realize China and, and uh, Russia have a, a bit of border. And um, so there is a way to do that. In terms of memorizing the names of countries, what I would do is I would treat them as a foreign language word. So let's say like, um, what's a difficult uh What's a difficult, well, it, and it also depends like how old is this person and how much of voc- vocabulary and can yeah. I give them ridiculous yeah, yeah. stuff, right? So for example, the Netherlands, if you were learning that and you were older, we would create some kind of visualization about how prostitution is legal in the Netherlands. And so nether, nether regions, and we would create a visualization and, and imagine that right there. And then, you know, but that's not going to work for, for a six-year-old kid. So you want to create these visualizations that, incorporate the name into the visualization. And ideally, if he needs to be able to recognize them on a map, what I would do is I would create interactions between the things, right? So Mm. like, you're not going to be able to look at the shape of the United Kingdom and say, oh, that's the United Kingdom. But what you might want to do is create this visualization there of, you know, Scotland and England holding hands. So you would imagine a hand holding going on there and maybe they're, you know, doing this like neener neener thing at Ireland because Ireland is not there. Then you might teach him. So again, it's all about creating these connections. Ire, the word ire is kind of like spite or much to my ire. So you would remember Ireland by saying like, oh, Ireland got left out of the United Kingdom. He's not part of this hand holding. So you just taught two things at once. And if he doesn't remember Ireland, he'll go, well, you know, dad taught me that ire is this word for, for kind of like being bitter and sour. Um, so that, that's how I would do it. And I would create this interplay between all the different countries and create essentially stories, um, that would, that would do it. So, so when you are studying, like, like say you're reading something that you really love, you're just like, okay, this is really useful. I want to lock this in. Do you pause and kind of take that main idea and then spend a few minutes just kind of creating this like visual tactile like thing in your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. So as I'm reading, I will take pauses to review the markers. And that's mainly just to do that spaced repetition so that I have a good enough idea of all the thoughts and ideas and wisdom in the book. Um, when I'm reading a book, most of the time, what I want is the five to 10 key ideas and a a comprehensive understanding. So I think most people, one of the biggest issues we used to have in our course, and we've since modified all the material so people understand better. People used to think that like hundred percent comprehension meant that I could tell you what is on each page. And that's not what I can teach you how to do that. There is a way I've had students who have to defend a PhD thesis and they literally need to be able to go, well, in the Markinsky edition of the book on page 37, it says this, but 
but most people don't need that. It's a lot of work to do, especially for a 300 page book. So what I will do is I will highlight and later I will go back through the book either by exporting my highlights to Evernote and I'll do that spaced repetition and review and create different markers for key ideas, like big themes, big ideas. I just read um, Charles Duhigg's, the latest book, Smarter, Better, Faster. And so he has this one example of the challenge and I actually did it via audiobook, which is way more challenging for me. So I have to actually be actively creating these symbols as I'm listening. Mm. Otherwise, it's in one ear and out the other. And uh, I won't spoil the book for people, but one of the ideas is we have to be extremely careful when we switch from autopilot mental model, right? Like going through the motions, and then there's some kind of aberration. Something is different. Something's changed. There is a massive cognitive dissonance that can happen. And this, this led to an Air France flight crashing because the pilots weren't able to get out of this mental model, like essentially the summary of it is like the instruments weren't reporting accurately and they knew that, but they kept doing what they would do if the instruments were, were working properly and wow. the plane crashed. So it's, it's this like beware. So I have this visualization of this Air France flight and I don't want to spoil the surprise, but like of how it crashed. It's violent imagery. It's one big complex symbol. Now in that symbol, I also have ice on the instruments under. And so I'm creating this one big idea. And there's really, I mean, the whole book, there's maybe five ideas like that. You know, one of them, by the way, is uh, uh, an Israeli, again, mental models, an Israeli general who had this mental model of what was happening with Lebanon and and uh, all the other neighboring countries. And he wasn't able to modify that mental model. And it ended up, in the Yom Kippur War, which is the deadliest war in the history. So I have this image of what he looks like. And, and again, I, I really don't want to spoil the book for people. I think they should read it. But this piece of paper that he had in his pocket that he talked about for years. So I create these visualizations and they become what we call anchor markers, right? So it's this one anchor idea that allows me to go back and get into the actual details of the idea. But it's not, you know, every page, every idea, every fact, every everything. No, I, I don't have that level. It's really for me to get back to the key ideas. Yeah. And how long did it take you to kind of like get to this point where you're so proficient, where you can kind of like take that pause, do this? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I'm sure it takes you like seconds to create these visualizations now. Yeah. For me, it took about six months for it to become automatic for visualizations to come up. Um, and there's kind of no standard. I've had students do it in less and I've had students who it never becomes automatic. They always have to kind of manually stop, close their eyes, look up at the ceiling and, and do this. Yeah. So. I think that's, that's a really key point here because even for me, as I was reading the book, I was like, I've tried, I've heard these things so many times. I'll stick to right. it for like a week, two weeks. And I'm like, it just doesn't work. And then I like, I talk myself out of it. Cause I'm like, right. maybe it's just not meant for me. But hearing you say that, like, and and having read your book, I'm like, this is a skill like anything else. Like, I can't expect right. to go to the gym, 300 pounds, and walk out a week later with six-pack abs. Like, it's just not realistic. Right. Yeah. It, so, two things there. One, uh, you know, the saying in Hebrew, there are times where I'll meet someone and I'll be so excited. I don't create a marker and I forget people's names once in a while. 99.9% .9 of the time is because I'm not using the techniques. I mean, they they really do work, but I forget to use the techniques all the time, right? Like I, I got a new Amex two weeks ago. I had to renew my Amex and I got a new number. Haven't memorized it. Like just haven't set aside the time to do it. And I, I've had to type it in 20 times in the last week, you know, cause I had to, I had to put it into all the websites that use yeah. the old number yeah. and I still haven't memorized it. So like, don't beat yourself up about, about it, you know, is, is one thing. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I think that's the main thing. There, there was another piece there. There you go. I forgot something. <laughs> so, <laughs> feel better about it. You know what it is? It's like the, I love the humanness of it because at the end of the day, we're all human. Like we're working with the same computer with the same thing, and it's just like the unrealistic notion that once you've learned something, like I've been doing personal development for seventeen years, and people look at me and like every. And I share all the time, like I get pissed at my kids and I have an argument with my wife. Like the fact that I've done this for this many years doesn't eliminate the fact that I don't have the human experience just like everyone else. We all get yeah, go dude. through it. it just I woke up at 930 this morning, like 
how personal developmenty is that? Right? <laughs> on my calendar at five thirty in the morning, that's when I do meditation and journaling. But this morning, I think I'm still completely out of whack. I woke up at nine thirty. And you're you're also time zones and God knows what else. Um, I'm, a, I'm a mess right now. <laughs> so, Jonathan, I I got a couple of final things, final thoughts here. Yeah. One, is there anything else that you want to share about the book that we didn't get to discuss that you think is really pertinent that that people should know? Yeah, I would just say, you know, we got to cover a couple of the really heavy duty tools that are super powerful for people. I've spent the better part of a decade thinking about learning and how it works. So there's so much more out there for people, whether it's all the the work that I've done on, on how to prepare your brain for learning, on how to speed read, which, you know, is a whole different can of worms, uh, on pre-reading this tool of like, how do I make boring text more interesting? There are so many tools out there self-testing. I could go on and on and on. There are so many tools out there uh, and it, it is on you to investigate and learn about those tools. There is absolutely no reason why you should continue banging your head against the wall. If, if Look, if you are, and I've met people like this, if you're a natural and school is super easy for you and you study a 10th of the time that everyone else studies and you get the grades, like don't even waste an hour on my book, right? But for the rest of us who you know, it's like, well, actually I spent a lot of time studying and I leave the exam room and I don't remember what the hell I learned. Um, know that there's a better way and, and it can make learning fun. I think that's the most important thing is when you do it this way, it, it's fun. It's really entertaining. It's, it's engaging. So. Yeah. I think whenever we learn things that we're really passionate about learning, yep. it's a lot more entertaining. It's just that we have to spend a lot of time learning shit that we don't necessarily want to, which is why I thought this would be such a gift to give to my kids. Cause like, right. Hey, do that work in a 10th of the time so that then you right. can go do the other stuff that you really want to do the rest of the Bingo. time, which is just awesome. Yeah. And you can also, I mean, there are techniques like, like the whole idea of pre-reading. You can take the most boring and uninformative text and trick your brain it basically incentivize it. Like, how can I make this interesting? And I'll give people, I, I hate to like give people a teaser without giving them. So what you want to do is harness cognitive biases. Have you ever, um, here's a good example. You ever have a debate with your spouse and you're like, I think it's right. She thinks it's left. And all of a sudden you're both paying so much more attention because you both want to be right. And it's like, hopefully we aren't this way with our spouse, but you're this way with your best friends, your parents. We like to be right. The human brain likes to be right. So next time you have to read something that's really boring, pre-read it, which is scan the text, spend one to two seconds per page, looking at the page, noting things that stand out, and then create some of these cognitive biases. Like, oh, here's this boring thing about tax law. And I bet you they're going to bring up that old boring example, or I bet they're going to talk about why this and this like basically go in really skeptical and, and kind of like sarcastic about it. And you will notice that even though it's tax law and it's super boring, your brain is going to perk up because it wants to know if it's right or not. And this is how we work with students to turn the most boring stuff. I mean, people come to me. It's amazing to me that people study some of the stuff that they bring to me as examples and we can make it entertaining and engaging. And it just, it comes down to like, another one, how would, who would I debate this with or which friend would be interested in this or how could I present this? How could I use it? So thinking of all these questions and it takes a few seconds before you read, then you will go in and, and want to confirm. So powerful, powerful technique because you're right, Elon, we have to learn a lot of stuff that's not entertaining or interesting for us yeah. to figure out what is interesting and entertaining for us. Yeah. Well, if, if, if you can use all these things, and that's what I was sharing with my son, it's like, if you can use all these things as practice to actually get good at the act of learning, you've just set yourself ahead of everyone else because information, like you said, is out there in so many different forms. And, you know, we can learn about everything in so many different ways that it's just like the more you can obtain and recollect and actually use the more successful everyone's going to be. So, uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for sharing it. It was super fun to be with you. Um, how can people find you, the book, your courses? Yeah. So, uh, Best place to check out the book, superhumanacademy.com slash book. That'll take you to all the places books are sold and you can check that out. Uh, and I would invite people, we do, if you're an online course type of person, we have a five-day memory mastery course, which will teach you all this stuff in 20-minute installments a day for five days. And we offer on our full 
all access pass kind of Netflix thing, we have a seven day free trial. So seven days of free trial, five day memory mastery. You can take the entire course for free. Won't cost you a dollar. And you can check that out at superhumanacademy.com slash squad. Slash squad. Awesome. We'll have all those uh, links for you guys in the show notes. Awesome. Jonathan, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to share this information My with us. Pleasure. Last man. My pleasure. And just one little quick note for your audience. Please take a moment to leave a review for Have It All. It, Elon might not ask for it, but it really makes our day as podcasters. I can tell you I've been doing a podcast for almost six years. Leave a review. It makes a huge, huge difference. Oh, that's super sweet and generous. Thank you, my man. <laughs> All right, everyone. We'll see you on the next Have It All show. Have a great day. Hey, hey, before you go, I just wanted to remind you to go lock in your $9 per month for life offer to join our collective. I promise if you like this podcast, you will absolutely love what we're sharing inside of the collective. Again, just head to satoriprime.com forward slash collective and you can lock that price in. These are the same tools that we share with our personal one-on-one clients and those guys pay us tens of thousands of dollars to work with us you can have them for just $9 a month. Again, satoriprime.com forward slash the collective. And as always, we'd love to hear your honest reviews of our show. So if you head to iTunes and leave us a review right now, you could actually be next week's lucky winner. And lastly, if you do want to connect with Guy and I, head to Facebook right now, join our personal development without the fluff private group, ask for permission. There's a ton of amazing exclusive content there as well. And you get to communicate and interact with Guy and I on an ongoing basis. So as always, thank you for your trust, your loyalty, and your listening. We do not take it for granted. We really, really appreciate it. We love you and we'll see you next time.